I'm Matt Bush with BPR News. I'm speaking with Fred Cleason-Kelly. He's a reporter for the USA Today Network. Fred, thank you so much for joining us. Oh, thanks for having me on your uh, wonderful platform. So let's talk about what you reported on, and it's it's really, really in-depth, and, and it's something very important to the South in all cities, big and small, throughout the south, southeastern United States, and that is Section 8 housing. So take us through first to explain what Section 8 housing is and then what you were specifically looking at in Section 8 housing in 2021. Uh, well, the Section 8 program is a, a program that's meant to help uh, poor folks, uh, military veterans, folks who have disabilities, uh, be able to pay for their rent. Um, the design of the program is such that uh, the recipient pays one third of the rent and the government covers the rest. Uh, the intent is to help people be able uh, to pay for rent, food, medicine, and other basics that they would go without if they did not uh, get help with their housing. So you were looking at a lot of parts of this program. It's been around for a while, and President Biden has been talking about ways to expand it in 2021. So what sorts of things were you looking at within the program in your reporting? Well, after George Floyd, you know, the nation uh, had a, a heavy focus on racial equality and police brutality. And so... Uh, in thinking about this program, we wanted to look at whether the federal government had kept its promise. Uh, when the voucher program was created in the 70s, one of the big promises was that people who got vouchers would be able to move to neighborhoods with good jobs and good schools and to areas where historically black and brown folks uh, have been excluded. Um, and one of the measures that the program um, sets for itself as a standard is how many people they move into high opportunity areas. And so what our reporting tries to do is follow people as they, they use a voucher or try to use a voucher and then to see if they do get housing where they wound up. And, and what we found is that people by and large usually end up in racially segregated neighborhoods. They usually end up in neighborhoods with high poverty. And so the program actually ends up reinforcing the problem it was meant to solve. Uh, even worse than that is that a large number of people who try to use their voucher never end up with a lease. Uh, people are trying to move from extended stay motels. They're trying to move out of homeless shelters and when they uh, go to use their voucher, they encounter one problem after another. And in many cases, uh, they end up with no help at all. Uh, one of the places we looked at was the Shelby area, Shelby, North Carolina. Um, the leader of the housing agency at the time told us that 60% uh, of the folks who get a voucher in that area never end up with housing. There's simply a lack of affordable housing, there's not a left landlords willing to take folks who have a voucher. And the result is often tragic for people who can't get the help they need. Uh, so much to really break down in, uh, in that. Um, first, let's go back. You said something they want to move people to high opportunity zones, I think was the phrase you used. Can you explain to us what that term means? Um, yeah. So one of the things we know about life in America is that 
uh, housing is central to your existence. Um, housing determines what kind of school you're going to go to, uh, what kind of jobs are close to your home, uh, what kind of public transportation you do or do not have. Uh, if you have access to a park and can exercise. And here in North Carolina, often it determines whether you have a sidewalk in your house to even walk. Uh, and so one of the goals of the program is to take people uh, from areas that are troubled, where there's less opportunity, and move them to areas where there are more opportunities, basically to give them a shot at a, at a better life, at a more comfortable existence. Um, a fourth of the people in the program nearly have disabilities and may need to go to the doctor office, office often. And if there are no doctors in your neighborhood, that can make it difficult uh, to get treatment. And so the program tries to give people a choice in where they live as if they were middle class Um and what we're finding out is that people often have very few choices. One, one of the big factors in that is the program is time limited. So if you get a voucher, you have 60 days um, or as little as 60 days. And a lot of people run out of time. And uh, at 60 days, they simply have to turn the voucher back in. So much to digest of that last answer you just gave, but let's talk about two before we get into some of the other parts of this. You know, if they're not going to uh, high opportunity zones, you're saying they, they end up staying in a lot of areas that uh, remain segregated and then areas that have a lot of history of redlining. So tell us about that. Yeah. So one thing that's important to remember is that uh, the vast majority of people who, who benefit from vouchers are, are black and brown people and people with disabilities. Uh, so historically disenfranchised folks. And, and so uh, one of the things that our reporting found is that uh, voucher holders are often segregated in areas uh, that were redlined uh, back in the 1930s. And for those who are unfamiliar, um, in the 1930s, the, the federal government created these maps in more than 200 cities across the country, including Asheville. Um, and a surveyor would come to the neighborhood and take some notes on what it looked like and would often decide whether that area was suitable for bank lending and other types of investment, mortgage lending. Um, and what happened is if the area had black folks, if it had brown folks, if it had Jews, if it had Catholics, and if it had very poor white people, they would give the area a D, meaning don't go here, don't invest here, don't loan here. And the effect of these maps uh, has been felt for decades um, these areas now uh, often suffer from high rates of poverty, from a lack of investment, and um, the country has not saw fit to try to overcome a problem of its own creation. 
And these neighborhoods are exactly where voucher holders often live and, and remain stuck. One of the places you did look was Asheville. You mentioned it there. Uh, Asheville's history of redlining is becoming coming more and more to light as we look at the issues that the, the city and, and the surrounding region face. And I think they feed into a lot of what you've been talking about already, about affordable housing and, and the price of housing. But uh, in your investigation into, into all the places that you looked at throughout the southeast, what did you find in Asheville? Well, the the one thing that jumped out about Asheville is is the redlining map. Um, just how how much of the city is in red, and and red means bad. Don't invest here. Um, and what what it what it reminded me is that history is is not a mistake. Uh, the things that we see now as problems, it's kind of like when you drive into any city in the country. There's usually one side where people are like, don't go here or don't move there. And you kind of know. And, and, and in your mind, you might go like, wonder why that is like that or how did this happen? And the answer is that the federal government and our society made it that way on purpose. And when you look at that redlining map in Asheville, that happened on purpose. And I don't think that history is examined enough. I don't think that history is uh, given enough credence. And I don't think that history factors enough into our current public policy. Um, I think often, uh, like we see in Asheville, there's a discussion of reparations. Um, and there's a part of me that, that looks at that and says, that would have already been done if we were willing to pay the price that is necessary to make it right. And in a lot of ways, that's how it works with vouchers. Like to make the program work right, there just has to be a lot more investment. Uh, right now, about one in four people who qualify for vouchers gets help, meaning three in four people are left in the cold. Uh, and even the people who do get vouchers after waiting for years, um, they run into a number of, of stumbling blocks. Uh, there is uh, no money in the program to pay for security deposits. And these are very poor folks who don't have $1,000 to spend on a security deposit. They don't have cars. They can't afford moving trucks to move their stuff to a new place. And they don't have money to pay application fees to apply for places. You take all of that. And then at the end, even if everything lines up, a landlord can simply say, we don't take vouchers. And that happens a whole lot in Asheville and everywhere else. You said a lot of people who do even get the vouchers don't end up getting housing. What happens to those people who don't, who get a, a Section 8 voucher, but still can't find a place to, to live? Uh, what our reporting found, uh, and particularly in Charlotte and some places around North Carolina, is that a lot of those folks continue to languish in homeless shelters. Some of them are sleeping in the streets. Uh, some of them are sleeping in extended stay motels and their vouchers simply run out and uh, they continue to struggle. Uh, one of the ways you qualify for a voucher is that the government determines that you spend an unacceptably high amount of money for housing or that you're in danger of homelessness. And so uh, when people aren't able to use their voucher, I think there's a very good chance that some of those folks will, will end up homeless. And another thing you also talked about was the limit. There's a time limit on these. Um, you said it's, I believe, 60 days. Um, 
How does that factor into the problems that you found with the program, this limit? Yeah, well, well what the research shows is that because people have a limited amount of time uh, to look for housing, they will basically take what they can get. Uh, they won't search very far outside of neighborhoods that they're already familiar with. They're not going to drive far out to the suburbs to look at that new subdivision because they don't have time to mess around and be turned down and they don't have money to apply for all these different places. And so people tend to move close to places that they already were uh, because they feel that that time pressure. And they also accept places um, uh, that are in extremely poor condition. Um, and they just want to get in and, and have that, uh, have a roof over their head because uh, I think there's an idea that that's all they're going to get. Talk about North Carolina generally, but obviously you looked at some of the bigger, faster growing areas of the state and of the country. North Carolina's population is growing. The biggest, um, you know, biggest sort of indicator of that is that it's getting an extra congressional seat over the next decade. It's kind of one of the ways that shows population growth has really exploded in the state. So because of that, uh, housing is becoming more and more expensive, and there's a lack of affordable housing in areas like Asheville and, and Charlotte and other places. So um, going forward with some of the things you looked at, I mean, what's what, what without any intervention, without any uh, intention to make changes to the program, what's going to happen? Well, I think you can use Asheville as an example in this. You know, for forever in a, in a day uh, in Asheville and North Carolina at large, one of the draws to this place was that it is it was affordable. Uh, it was a place that could accommodate people who didn't make a whole lot of money. And, and that's kind of going away. And I think we're at an inflection point uh, in places like Asheville where we have to decide what kind of community we're going to be. Is this going to be a community uh, that caters only to people who have a certain amount of money, or are we going to do what it takes to accommodate all kinds of people, including people on vouchers? Uh, and uh, many of these people on vouchers actually work. They work in the type of tourism-related jobs that uh, that Asheville offers. Um, they they work in jobs that don't pay a whole bunch of money, and so if nothing changes, I think that will be reflected in the makeup of the community. Uh, simply, people will be displaced. Uh, they won't be able to live in places like Asheville and Charlotte. They will have to drive into town if they have a car. And if they don't have a car, they just simply won't be there. Yeah, there's, a, there's also a question. You know, when the, the editors were talking about this story, uh, one of the things they they talk about is like, yes, this, this program is important to a certain segment of the population. Why, why is it important to like, you know, a middle-class taxpayer who lives in a nice home in the suburbs? And there was a lengthy discussion. And one of the things I said was that the voucher program and affordable housing are needed because society can't really work properly without them. Uh, somebody has to pick up the garbage and clean the restaurant and serve at the restaurant and cook the food and they have to live somewhere and these businesses can't operate if folks aren't working these jobs. Um, what you risk is becoming a place like San Francisco 
where you have to bus in teachers or other places from miles and miles away. Um, society doesn't really function at an optimal level. And the community, the community's values are kind of warped because you're effectively saying we're not a place for everyone. Just two final questions. One, did you look at all how the pandemic may have impacted this and the eviction moratoriums and all that? Did you see any way that the pandemic may have impacted uh, the Section 8 program? Uh, One of the things we heard repeatedly is that people would go out with their vouchers and apartment complexes and landlords weren't taking on new tenants because they were afraid of... uh, of the virus. They were afraid of people uh, bringing the virus. Uh, There also was not a normal churn of tenants because because basically there was a moratorium on evictions and a number of other factors. So people weren't moving. And so some of the voucher holders would say, yeah, if there's a landlord willing to rent to me, but they can't have their unit available for three or four months, or they can't have it available for five months. And by then my voucher will run out. What am I supposed to do? Uh, Landlords wouldn't meet with folks because they didn't want to risk getting the virus from anyone. Um, And so um, the pandemic made it harder for people with vouchers to look for places, to find places with openings. And then and probably more importantly, it put a lot of people out of work. And so even the little money they could offer to put up, they, they, they no longer had. And so they, they often had to scramble. Um, they often had to make a decision with the stimulus money that they got from the government. Do I spend it for basics that I need right now? Or do I save it in hopes that I'll get housing later? And my final question, you mentioned in the reporting that President Biden has sought to expand this program in some way. What is the administration looking at doing? And, you know, would it reverse these trends or would it only reinforce the trends that are current that currently exist? Um, It's a complicated answer. Um, I'll try to give it as simply as I can. Um, uh, The president has basically promised uh, and has promised during his campaign that to provide a voucher for everyone who qualifies. Um, in the current bill that's being debated, uh, the infrastructure bill, I believe uh, vouchers were proposed. They may end up being cut from the final version of the bill. Um, and so the president is basically proposing to greatly expand the program as a way to deal with the economic hardship that Americans have suffered during the pandemic, but um, the problems that the program has right now will limit any positive impact that expansion of the program has. Uh, Simply giving people vouchers does not expand the supply of affordable housing. Simply giving people vouchers does not give them money to pay for security deposit uh simply expanding vouchers uh does not give them money to play for application fees so all all of these problems that people encounter while trying to use a voucher may actually go worse grow worse because there will be more people out there using vouchers and they may encounter actually more competition for the few places that exist for them